I always love it when Clay begins a new series of sermons on a particular passage of scripture and then he invites me to preach during the series and somehow he always seems to leave me the most challenging verses in the passage that are supposed to be my text. This fall, as you know, Clay began a series of sermons from the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew's gospel. <clears throat> he preached the first sermon on the Beatitudes at the beginning of chapter five. And then last week he preached on the theme of anger in verses 21 to 26. That makes the next verse for me to preach today, beginning with verse 27. And guess what the next verses are all about? Adultery and divorce. I don't know if he deliberately plans this, but nevertheless, here we go. When I was young and first starting out of the ministry, I was working with a group of fifth, sixth, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and uh, we were studying the Ten Commandments. And I thought I'd be creative and make their learning more interesting, so I got a stack of magazines and some poster board, and I told them I wanted them to cut out pictures and, and make a collage on each of the poster board on each of the Ten Commandments. Well, it, it went pretty well until we reached the Seventh Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you can imagine the kind of pictures that they put in their collage. And all I knew was that those kids at that age knew a lot more about things than I knew at that age. So let's look at our scripture. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verses 27 to 28, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And Jesus says, it's not only the forbidden action, but also the forbidden thought that is important. Now remember, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving several examples of what he means when he says, I have come not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So he gave the example of anger that Clay preached about last week. And here he gives the example of adultery. And he says that it is the inner attitude of our spirit and our soul that is just as important as our outward behavior. And that's because what we dwell on or think about in our hearts and our minds will eventually affect what we end up doing. And so Jesus doesn't say that, that lustful thoughts uh, that pop into our minds are, are not normal for human beings. But what he is saying is that when they occur, we must not dwell on them because if we think about them long enough, we might be more likely to act on them. We are not responsible for the thoughts that pop into our minds, but we are responsible for the ones that we allow to stay there, especially the ones that we cherish. So if you're following our scripture, you might find it curious what Jesus says next. He says in verses 29 and 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
for it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one member of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. These are certainly dramatic and drastic words that Jesus is saying. But I do not believe that he intended them to be taken in a blunt, crude, and literal way. Jesus often taught in symbolic ways, and he loved to use metaphor and hyperbole. Hyperbole means making uh, extreme or exaggerated statements to get the listener's attention and to drive home the point that you're trying to make. It's an exaggeration for effect, and it's not to be taken literally. To take everything Jesus says literally, like, like when he talks about a camel going through the eye of a needle or a log sticking out of somebody's eye, uh, would be kind of ridiculous, if not even impossible, to, to think. But think about it. If you were to cut out your tongue because you lied or gossiped, it would keep you from doing it again, but it would also keep you from saying the right things, kind and helpful things, as well as saying words of praise to God. And if you were to pluck out your eye because you looked at something you weren't supposed to look at, it would keep you from looking at that bad thing again, but it'll also keep you from looking at all the things that are good and true and beautiful in life. So I don't think Jesus meant this to be taken literally. He just wanted to emphasize that which is wrong. So getting back to the subject of adultery, let me share a couple other thoughts about it. First of all, what is adultery and, and why is adultery so bad? Adultery is basically a violation of the marriage vows of faithfulness to another person. Why is it so wrong? It's wrong because God said it was wrong. It's wrong because it means broken covenants and commitments, unfaithfulness. It is wrong because it leads to further wrongs and it hurts a wider circle of people than just the two involved. It is wrong because it destroys marriage and family life. Another way to look at it is that it is wrong because it violates the dignity of persons. It involves the use of one person as a means to an end, the end being self-satisfying pleasure. It means treating somebody else as a thing to be used for your own benefit or pleasure. And as Christians, we are taught to love people, not to use them. But the main reason that adultery is wrong is because it destroys our relationship with God. Our English word adultery comes from the Hebrew word, which means mixing. Mixing a pure substance with something that's not so pure or debasing that which is pure. And nothing is more pure than our relationship with God. 
And that's why in the Old Testament, the term adultery doesn't focus so much on, on sexual misconduct or a violation of the marriage vows as it is used to describe being unfaithful to God, especially in terms of the nation of Israel being unfaithful to their covenant with God. And the whole story of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who married an adulterous wife who keeps leaving him and then coming back and leaving him and coming back, it's, that's, that's a, a metaphor for Israel's relationship with God and how Israel was unfaithful to God, but then God forgave him, welcome back. Unfaithful again, welcome back. But not only our relationship with God, but our relationships with one another, uh, adultery can be a spiritual thing as much or more as a physical thing. The story is told about a couple that uh, reached their 40th wedding anniversary, and the wife asked the husband if he still loved her. And his response was, I told you I loved you when we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. Now, that might seem funny to some people, but to me, it is very tragic. To be married to somebody for 40 years or, or five years or one year or any amount of time and to have to wonder if that person still loves you, that's tragic. It represents what I call spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery is a lack of expressed love towards somebody that you claim to love. And if that person has to wonder if you love them, then obviously you're not expressing it the way you should. It's far from what the original marriage vows were emphasizing when they talked about cherishing one another. Someone who doesn't feel loved has obviously not been cherished. Spiritual adultery is not living up to your marriage vows, the vow to love, to cherish, to care for and comfort one another. And worse than that, a husband who never has a physical affair outside of marriage, but who has mentally or physically abused his wife during the marriage, to me, he's giving her just as much of a ground for divorce as, as physical unfaithfulness. In fact, I would say that one incident of physical unfaithfulness in a moment of temptation or weakness is easier to forgive and to get over than many years of spiritual adultery in a marriage and a lot easier to get over than a moment of physical abuse of one spouse. I've told more than one woman when she's been physically abused by her husband, she needs to get out of that marriage now because it will happen again. One other thing that I would say about adultery relates to what we can read in John's gospel when Jesus, when we read about the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember what Jesus said to her? First, he said to her accusers, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And obviously nobody did. And then he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And the woman says, no one, sir. So Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. 
Jesus didn't overlook her sin. He didn't condone her sin, but he did forgive it and give her, her another chance to start over again. And that's what Jesus offers all of us, another chance, cleaning the slate again so that we can do a better job of becoming all that we should be. And finally, let's look at the other part of our scripture this morning, what Jesus said about divorce. What he says here in the question of divorce troubles a lot of people, a lot of Christians today. We are told how the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus responded saying, the law of Moses says, whoever divorces his wife, let, her give, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see why this is a, a, a troubling passage for many people? To really understand what Jesus is saying here, what it means, we need to understand what the situation was uh, with marriage back in this day when Jesus said it. Under the law of Moses, women were considered nothing more than things, part of a husband's property, not really considered persons. And a woman could not divorce her husband for any reason. But a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. If he put too much salt in her food, if she went out in public with her head uncovered, if she talked to other men in the marketplace, if she was troublesome or quarrelsome, the husband could divorce her instantly. All he had to do was write out a certificate of divorce. We're done. It's over. So the attitude toward marriage in that day wasn't really much. And divorce got easier and easier to get. And there wasn't any stability in family life. Family life was really non-existent. So Jesus says what he says here, using hyperbole, because he's trying to strengthen the relationship of marriage. He wants people, especially men, to take marriage more seriously. But again, as he speaks with hyperbole, he's not meant to be taken literally when he says that marrying a divorced woman is to commit adultery. Because for one thing, to take that literally would go totally against the whole idea of forgiveness. And Christ forgives you no matter what mistake you make, if you are genuinely penitent. And when you are forgiven, the slate is erased. You, you have a new start. You're a new being in Christ. And as Jesus himself once said, it is the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, that is most important. Jesus had a real problem with the legalistic attitude of the scribes and Pharisees in his time. Still, this, this saying of Jesus causes a lot of trouble uh, to a lot of sincere Christians today. They say, but I made a, a vow before God, a vow to stay married the rest of my life. If I get a divorce, I'll be breaking my vow. 
Let me say two things. First of all, somebody has already broken the vow if divorce has become an issue. But secondly, nowhere in my Bible does it say that divorce is an unpardonable sin. And I say sin intentionally because to me, divorce is a sin on somebody's part. Either the couple didn't mean the vows they were making at the time they got married, or one of them or both of them broke those vows that they made. And even when couples say to me, oh, but we both agreed on the divorce, we both wanted the divorce, and we're good friends now, I don't buy it. I have never known any situation where a divorce didn't cause scars that are very hard to heal, and sometimes they never heal. So even though God holds marriage in high esteem and would certainly rather see us happily married than divorced, I don't think God wants any of his children to live in miserable relationships, especially if they are destructive to the parties involved, and, and that includes the children involved. I would also say that to me, the high rate of divorce today, where 50% or more of all marriages don't make it, that that doesn't necessarily mean that people don't hold marriage in high esteem. It could mean that, that a lot of people hold marriage in such high esteem that they're not willing to settle for something that is less than what God intends marriage to be. So the message that Jesus is trying to make in this passage is that marriage and family life are vitally important to the safety, to the stability, to the welfare of human society. And all of us need to take it seriously. Amen.